Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy, Fantasy Podcast. With your host, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome in to the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Paige DeMacos, Jake Arians, Jamie Eisner. And we have a fantastic interview for you guys today. We already recorded our interview. That's going to be after we get into the NFL news. That is with the LA Times NFL writer, Sam Farmer. He was phenomenal. He ended up interviewing us for part of it because he's such a damn good journalist. Like, I was like, dude, you got to stop asking all the great questions here. Like, I'm, 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 but he's so damn good at his job that he... He just really made the direction flow, and it was it was really cool to get to talk to him because he's been covering the NFL for so long, and this is such a strange offseason, and him talking about how he's going to handle that and really just falling back on what I believe is is crucial in any aspect of life, no matter what, what job you have. It's everything is about the relationships that you have, and, and this is going to be a year – where you're going to see who the real journalists are and who the Twitter hot take artists are, because you're going to see the ability to create stories based off of phone calls and text messages to actual sources versus being in locker rooms and being around a scrum and taking advantage of the fact that somebody else asked a really good question and you get the quote from it. And and that's, that's where this is going to take us back in journalism world a long time, because there's not going to be that access that you're used to having. So I thought that was really interesting that he brought that up because I get asked all the time from on Twitter, on Instagram, and in our premium Slack. We have a career channel in there. Like, what's your best piece of advice? And I tell them all the time, make good relationships, develop good relationships, be, be, have integrity. Don't go back on stuff. And, and that doesn't exist a lot anymore. And Sam's kind of one of those giants in that field that has, unbelievable relationship so i'm i'm gonna start pumping his stuff on twitter in hopes that we can really get his following up so who else are you gonna talk to that brings up the 82 and 88 redskins teams and how they won the super bowl and the continuity and he leads it off by saying when i talked to joe theisman and doug williams about those teams yeah these dudes that are on twitter and tv now aren't going back to the early 80s like his wealth of knowledge in covering this is as i think he's the best in the business and doesn't get anywhere near the credit he deserves but it's always listening to his take and yeah he flips the interview on us it was, it was awesome <laughs> wealth and knowledge and then giving us some some dropping some quotes from coaches that he's talking to and stuff so he gave us he gave us a lot of good stuff so i really look forward to everybody being able to listen to that but what we're going to talk about first here before we toss into that interview is a couple of pieces of news that happened on wednesday of this week uh one of them being a massive uh, piece of news in the fantasy community. And that is that Damian Williams is opting out for this football season. Tons of implications here. Um, mostly that Clyde Edwards Alaire is now become much, much more valuable. And we talked about Damian Williams at nauseum and how much we loved him and how Andy Reid loved him. And so this is it's gonna impact this football team, right? And it's also gonna impact fantasy. So Jamie, I'll let you take it first from the fantasy spin. What does what does this mean? I know you've even already updated your rankings on the draftnetwork.com to, to uh, reflect that. Yeah. And if you haven't had a chance to check it out, I wrote, I wrote an article about this specifically of how I updated Edward Tillaire's rankings, how I updated his projections and I actually put in there uh, for everybody, not just premium members, how, what his new projection looks like and how I arrived there. 
to me, he moved into the top 10. He's my top 10 running. He's my number 10 running back right now. Um, I, I moved him up to that spot. That's not where he's going to go because I know what's happening. What's going to happen now. I mean, he was going as the RB 14 and we, I, he was a fade for me a little bit just because I thought he'd have a good season, but people were anticipating give us the, probably stat. the numbers give he's going to put up now. Give yeah. us the stat. Give me, give me the Damian Williams stat. There's no and, longer and that, there. The last running back to get I believe, 14, 14 carries in a game that wasn't named Damian Williams was named Kareem Hunt. Okay, let's go back to that before. I mean, it, now, it's now been that's gone. Now that's gone. So it's got to like he's got to jump. But who else does it bring in? To me, it well, brings it bring, in Darwin Thompson. Like, Thompson, it, and it brings in DeAndre Washington because I think Darwin Thompson's going to be on the field for a lot of those passing downs. But I think, I think uh, DeAndre Washington might be getting more carries than I than I think we think. Uh, Daryl Williams is also in that conversation as well. I mean, I, he's he's not somebody I don't think I'm, I'm going to draft. But Washington is very interesting because he's a player that flashed a little bit last year when Josh Jacobs got hurt is a more traditional hand-the-ball-off, run-run-back where Daryl Williams and Darwin Thompson are more those pass-catching guys that are going to be on the field for third down, two-minute drills late. Well, I don't think the Chiefs are going to be down late in games much, but if they are, that, that's where they'll be. But it becomes really interesting. But the big name to me, Edward Solaire, moves up to RB10. I have him as my number 15 overall player. He's going to go in the first round now. I know what's going to happen. So you're probably not going to get him in, in that early round two spot that I have him now. But – the reason I was holding him back wasn't a talent issue, wasn't anything else. It was the fact that was the stat I just brought up that Jake pointed out about Damian Williams. And it's the fact that Andy Reid trusts him. Now you're going to have a situation where you've got a lot of young guys. There are a lot of new guys in the team. I mean, Edward Solaire wasn't there last year. Uh, Washington wasn't there last year. Darwin Thompson is a second-year guy. So it, it, it's going to be interesting to see who they get. They also could throw a, a whole other wrench at us and get somebody else. I mean, yeah. uh, Vonta Freeman is still sitting out there. I mean, there are some guys that are still sitting out there. Guys are going to get cut. I think cut. he'd be a good fit as well. I yeah, agree. I mean, another pass-catching guy. I mean, it's – now, can't pass block to save his life, but he can – at least he can catch the ball. But it, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Who gets cut? Does somebody get traded? We've talked about having – again, I don't think it's going to happen, and I don't think the cap would work, but, you know – what if you can get Leonard Fournette really cheap? What if you can get some of these other guys that have been out there very cheap? I mean, you can't rule it out with a team that is – the goal is to win a Super Bowl now, next year, the year after that, the year after that. They can afford to trade some draft capital to get a one-year rental, for lack of a better phrase, to help that spot. Wouldn't put it past them. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But for right now, Edward Teller's stock way, way up. And, and I think this is the, one of the biggest pieces of fantasy news, probably since the Dalvin Cook threatening to hold out a f- uh, several weeks back that we've had all offseason. Jake, he did initial, report, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say he, he did, did report. But initial thoughts, Jake, from how this impacts the football team, right? Because this is a team with a lot of expectations going into this football season. They're the Super Bowl champions. They are the favorites to win again. Patrick Mahomes signs a big deal. They get Chris Jones locked up. Like there's a lot of expectations here for this football team. And they were able to withstand losing, you know, letting go of Kareem Hunt, but never were the same football team without him and, and had to adjust for that. So now they lose a key piece that Andy Reid has had, and they haven't had the rookie mini camp and all that time for Clyde Edwards-Alaire to get used to being in this offense. So how is this just going to impact the football team overall? I'm going to preface this by saying how much we all like Damian Williams, and they are going to have a little bit of a depth issue. I think it makes them better, and here's why. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the best blocking running back on the blitz, protecting Patrick Mahomes in the shotgun of all the guys that came out. It, that's what made him so well-rounded. He's also a phenomenal matchup. He's not a super speed guy, but he's a matchup nightmare because he's so quick and his hands are so phenomenal. You can hand it to him in that wiggle. 
it's going to be a lot like Kareem Hunt. I think that allows him to not come off the field. I think those other guys spell him, and I think in week one he hits that Damian Williams, Kareem Hunt number that Jamie just threw out there. I think it makes them better because they have a guy that's on the field for all three downs, and now that you take away a little bit of what are they going to do? You don't know what they're going to do. Because if he becomes a well-rounded runner and they want to run it a little bit more, or they can check to a pass and go back in the shotgun, he stays in and can pick up the blitz. It, it, you have to defend them differently. I think it makes them better once he's fully acclimated. I don't think it's going to take him very long to fit right into what they have going on. So that being said, where are you comfortable drafting him? Because Jamie's saying he's in his top 10, but we know how this is going. We, we know how Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was inflated compared to where we had him ahead of this news. So now this yeah. news is going to take what was already in existence and, and just pour gasoline on it, and it's going to go mm-hmm. crazy. So getting value here is highly unlikely, but where would you feel comfortable drafting him, Jake? In a 12-man league, 13, 14? 15. Okay. I mean, I think if you get to the second round, it's an awesome option. And if you got one of those other backs in round one, as deep as the receiver pool is, I mean, some of these mock drafts, I was getting OBJ in like seventh and eighth round. <laughs> like T.Y. Hilton, Keenan Allen were dropping like we talked about them on the receiver yeah. show. So if you can go running back heavy, to me, it adds a really good option. Or if somebody takes him in the first round, you're getting a really good running back that now is going to get to you in the second. Could be Josh Jacobs, somebody like that. Uh, you know, Nick Chubb that's going to give you a, a huge product productivity and a, a higher floor, which is a little less risky. He still has some risk. He's still oh, yeah. a rookie. He's still a rookie with this. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about this with Sam Farmer about what an abridged offseason, what it's going to do with injury risk. I mean, we're going to get all into that in that conversation. Let me throw a completely semi off the wall name at you that is because it's starting to look at maybe potential trade options. Love it. I don't think another AFC contender is going to help them. Like, I don't think the Colts, even if they, unless they got just a sweetheart of an offer wouldn't trade Marlon Mack to Kansas city. I just just don't think they're going to do that for a team that thinks they're going to be potentially playing them in the postseason. That'd be a good fit though. It would be, but I is, you might have to wait a year to pull that off. Yeah. What about Jamal Williams in green Bay? Like you, you you draft AJ Dillon in the second round, you know, you started to fade. Now Williams got hurt late in the season, but you started to fade him out a little bit. You've got Aaron Jones there. Look at a guy that can play on passing downs, a guy that can play in a similar type of system, can play out of the shotgun, can, you can run between the tackles, can be a pass catcher, can pass Phenomenal blocks. Phenomenal blocker. Do, yeah. do a little bit of everything there. That, that's a name. And, again, that's a piece I think they could move at some point this season anyway. Uh, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to make this move any, or make a move like this in, before camp and seeing you know, as rosters start to get cut down who might be available. But just kind of a name to keep an eye on. It's but a great name. He'd be cheap. You wouldn't have to yeah. give up a ton. It adds phenomenal depth. It protects Patrick Mahomes because the best thing Jamal Williams does is pass block out, yeah. out of the shotgun. And Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones doesn't play catching, a lot. Well, he became such a pass-catching threat last year, he's going to play more. So I think that, that makes Williams a little more expendable. That's a great name. Marlon Mack is intriguing as all I get know. out. Indy, yeah. is so, Indy is so set. Chris Ballard's done yeah. such an unbelievable job with the cap and the roster. They don't have to move him even if he doesn't play much. If Jonathan Taylor becomes a stud, you still want Marlon Mack on your team. Having two really good backs is how you win in this league. Yeah, with that offensive line and with Philip Rivers, I don't think I don't think they'd move him now. That's not more to Kansas like City, next, especially. No, and that, yeah, and then <laughs> no. that's a, it's a, probably a next year thing because they're not going to pay him. But God, that would be poof. not unless not unless you get a king's ransom. I mean, all this all of a sudden we've seen what happened with Kansas City's I mean, not giving up a king's ransom. They can't. No, guy. Yeah, going to be a backup running. They shouldn't, back but especially after spending a first round pick on Edward Tillier, it's not like they just. Yeah. It's not like he fell yeah. into their lap in round four. You right. know, like a cream hunt did in round three. 
I was going to say it would be very fun to see the Marlon Mack, but um, I'm guessing Indianapolis fancies themselves a contender for the Super Bowl this year and especially a favorite in the division. So they, they got to think that they're not going to want to give Kansas City any opportunity to get a leg up on them. Um, and that would definitely I'll tell you another one that would be interesting, good. but damn sure not going to happen because it's in the divisions. Royce Freeman is going to be expendable in Denver. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. another dude that would add size, pass catching ability, all around running back that I think would shine in that offensive given the opportunity, but Denver's not trading him in the division to Kansas. No, from a fantasy perspective, I would love if that would happen because that the Denver trio is a nightmare from a fantasy perspective. And people have been just dying for Royce Freeman to be in a situation where he's actually given an opportunity where somebody isn't going to cut into his overall you know cuts and now it's worse than it's ever been now you're looking at him and you go oh you got melvin gordon and philip Lindsay, who you know they're going to give the ball to so that that would be fun but we know that's that one's that one's not realistic i think jamie you brought up a name i didn't even think that one i i wasn't prepared for that one but i think that's a more realistic with them being in the nfc and what they've drafted and maybe they could you know get something back and and you know, pacify Aaron Rodgers a little bit more. Maybe they could use a pick in the future to get him a wide receiver. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they might think about maybe. that, but it's, uh, I do want to bring up before we, before we move off of this, because um, I know I sent you guys that clip from, from Rodgers and I didn't prepare you guys that I was going to ask you about this, but it just popped up in my head. And I thought, one, if you haven't watched that interview, uh, it's on the ringer and it's phenomenal and it's a great, very, it's, I, I think I texted you guys, this is the most likable Aaron Rodgers has ever been because mm. Aaron, it's not, it has less to do, I'll, I'll try and make it not about my Bears hatred of the Packers. When I take that lens off, Aaron comes across as an ass. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a Bears thing, it's an arrogance thing. And it's, I've heard Green I love Bay him, but he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah he he's just not, comes He's across. not likable. No, he's not a likable guy. See Bleacher Report's expose on his teammates not liking him. Okay, so it's not like a, not a me thing. It's just kind of how it is. This interview is very different Aaron Rodgers. Like a very different tone, different demeanor, different way he's ever, I've ever seen him answer, answer questions. And he really breaks down the whole process of the night that Jordan Love gets drafted and him having a four finger drink <laughs> that night and pouring Like I thought that was really, really just overall, I, I took a lot away from that. But the point that I want to ask you guys about is he spoke almost in absolutes that he knows that if they traded up for a first round quarterback, that they're going to want to play this guy and that he's not going to finish his career in green Bay. And there's been more hypotheticals, but this was way more like, I want to play into my forties. They traded up to get a quarterback and you're not going to trade up in the first round and not play the guy. Do you, I, I thought it was like a dream, right? That Aaron Rodgers might leave, but it's more real than I think it's ever been, especially coming off of that interview, Jamie. Oh yeah. No, the, the second that they, they traded up to draft Jordan Love, he wasn't going to finish his career there because Aaron Rodgers has been very clear about he's nowhere near the end yet. He, he's, he wants to continue playing. And you don't draft a first-round quarterback. You don't trade up to draft a first-round quarterback and have them sit four years. It doesn't happen. Maybe he sits two. Maybe. Uh, but even that, the NFL now, feels like an eternity. Although, given what happened this offseason, it's probably not the end of the world um, to, to sit out. To sit, not sit out, but sit a couple years behind Rodgers. But no, I mean, look, you don't, you're not drafting Jordan Love to trade him. You're not drafting Jordan Love to sit him for four years. You're drafting Jordan Love because you believe in the next, at most, two to three years, he is going to be your starting quarterback. Otherwise, you don't make that move. 
Uh, there's just there's no other way to justify that that sort of a deal. This is not fantasy where you you know you maybe you'll draft two quarterbacks early so you can trade one to another team. It just it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, so that kind of became a reality. Now there's a difference between us thinking that and then Aaron Rodgers coming out and saying it, and, uh, and I think it holds a little, obviously holds a lot more weight in that case, but then it leads to, you know, a lot of other questions down the road of, you know, wh- where does, where does that leave green Bay? When does that transition happen? Because it is almost never a smooth transition. It just, it's when you move away from it, it just, it, it's, it doesn't happen, especially somebody of that caliber and has been there that long and has a super bowl ring. It's never an easy transition. Uh, it, it's going to lead to a lot of speculation starting next off season. And we had a little bit this year, but nobody had any, there's, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to start, the whole season there's there's no nobody's even thinking about that but next year it's going to get talked about it's going to get talked about next offseason it's going to get talked about every time he throws an inter now he doesn't throw many interceptions anymore but it's going to get talked about every time he does uh in a game next again in the 2021 season and i think we're looking at that 2021 into 2022 as that kind of looks like at the cutoff point where a decision kind of has to be made because you didn't spend that first round pick for jordan love to sit for three, four years, but Aaron Rodgers is going to still be playing at a fairly high level, maybe not at an elite level at that point. We'll see. Maybe he is. But at that point, it's going to be really interesting because it's going to be another messy breakup in Green Bay. And this, in some ways, makes it easier. And I don't know if that's really his intention, but kind of that getting that narrative and hearing it from Aaron Rodgers ahead of time will make it more palatable for the team to do it later. There's still going to be headaches and there's still going to be drama and there's still going to be I, mean, I don't know if we're putting reporters on Aaron Rodgers' lawn like we used to do for Brett Favre, but there, it, it almost helps them out in a way. I don't think that was his intention, but it helps them out in a way to kind of get people thinking in this mindset because that sentence might catch people off guard that have been paying close attention or just got wrapped up in the, oh, let's make fun of the Packers for never drafting a wide receiver, and they kind of miss the big macro picture that's in the background of this is the beginning of the end of the Aaron Rodgers era in Green Bay. And I think that kind of being out there – maybe a year or two in advance of it happening might be less messy than it normally would have been, but it's still going to be messy in the end. It always is. It's all bullshit. And Aaron Rodgers is a hell of a lot better than what he's getting. He's not likable because he doesn't give a shit if you like him. So he doesn't give you the real him. That's what was so great about this interview. I think that's much more of the real him, but he puts a, a puts a, you know, a face on of not giving you much doing what he is, he's comfortable with his own skin. He doesn't give a damn. So that, that makes you not very likable. I, I think he probably is very likable to the people who actually know him. Uh, and maybe, maybe he's even like that with his teammates. Maybe that's why that Bleacher Report thing is accurate. But before last season, who was the most elite passer we've ever seen in the NFL? It was still Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Patrick Mahomes is now that guy. But Aaron Rodgers was still that dude. All of a sudden, he's not. Now, to play devil's advocate – this team's going to get about $35 million cap benefit when they move on from Aaron Rodgers. For sure. Because of the new contract, Jordan Love was a late first-round pick. They've got him tied up for five years if they want to. That's a lot to go around in free agency where not a lot of teams are going to have any money. On a team that's already been spending money, having decent drafts, building stuff around, playing differently than Aaron Rodgers. But I don't give a shit. If Jordan Love is going to be compared to Patrick Mahomes, and he's 65% of Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers is 88% of Patrick yeah, Mahomes. I was going to say. just forget that all of a sudden. Like, we, before last year, he throws the best ball ever. We're talking about the best versus the most talented. Aaron Rodgers is in the top of the conversation, the most talented to ever do it. And now you're saying he wants to play another four or five years. I don't, I don't, he deserves better than this to be the situation. 
He does. But the interview was awesome because I think I love that he took the mask off and showed us a little bit of, I will say this too. I think this is going to allow him to play better and it's not some BS bulletin board. I'm taking notes. No, I think it's going to free him up with the expectations of screw it. I'm going to go play the way I want to play that to me, that scares me. That makes them a little bit scarier than I, than maybe I was giving them credit for. Cause I think he might play at a level we haven't seen in a while. Yeah. I obviously hope that that doesn't happen, but I, I am in this weird position now where I'm almost rooting for him because he's like anti green Bay. Like he's almost giving them a middle finger for what they've done. And it makes him more likable to me because I, I do think as much as I, have learned to hate him over the 15 years that he's been in Green Bay. He's one of the best of all time. And he is unbelievable. And to, to think that he just signed his big deal a year ago and they go and they do this a year later. I mean, you're talking about one year after that big deal happens, they go make this move. Those things don't align to me. That timing doesn't make sense. And that's where if the Jets got what they got for freaking Jamal Adams. Thank you. And you've got Aaron Rodgers one year and two years into his deal after this season and you move him. What well, are you getting get back for Aaron Rodgers? I, I can't even imagine. It puts them in a plain devil's advocate. It puts them in a decent position, but Jordan Love's got to be decent. And look, Aaron Rodgers was one and one A to Alex Smith when they came out and he drops to what, 22 where they took him? Yeah. There's decent value there, even though you have Brett Favre. And they were yeah. in those days, it's, the cap was different. You could sit him for the two years that he sat. Jordan Love was a, still a stretch to be a first-round pick, and they traded back up to get him. You're not getting the same value you got. So this isn't the same situation it was the first time when Aaron Rodgers and they did to Brett Favre. It's not. No. It, I think the biggest part of that not being the same is that every evaluator did not – did not have Jordan Love. Most people that were evaluating quarterbacks did not have a first round grade on Jordan Love. Like that's 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 the reality. And and they traded up. And the the biggest part of this is you're banking on a guy that doesn't have a great film, that doesn't have a lot. Like you're banking on him being good enough, good enough to justify moving on early from Aaron freaking Rodgers. So you better be pretty damn sure. Who hasn't sure. lost anything, by the way. No, you better be His arm's be not any different. Sure. His brain's not any different. No. I, I, I don't get where this is like all of a sudden he's done. I, I man, I, as a, as a Bears fan, I hope they move on from him early because I'm willing to bet Jordan Love is not Aaron Rodgers. I'm willing, I'm willing to say that now. I, God, I, I will come back if on the podcast and say he's 80% of Aaron Rodgers, he's still a borderline Hall of Famer. That's what I'm saying. Like he's 80% not, of what Aaron yeah, Rodgers has been for them. He's not 50. I don't think he's going to be 50% of Aaron Rodgers. Like, I just, I don't think that that's the year. Green Bay is so spoiled and has no idea what it's like that you guys went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. That transition don't is forget not Bart Starr. that easy. Yeah. Oh, like, by the way. Their quarterback history is pretty it's ridiculous. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But that's why. I think the expectation is that they're just, that this is just easy, that you're just going to happen to find this guy and you're going to do the same thing you did last time around. And it's just going to work out the same. That's you're in a different time period. Okay. Quarterbacks. That's what Aaron brought up that I thought was the biggest point of that interview. 15 years ago, 16 years ago, when he gets drafted, social media isn't around. The coverage of the NFL is not the same. So you can sit for the amount of time that he sat because it didn't create a quarterback controversy 
like it's going to now. It was a quarterback controversy the second that they drafted him. The second that they drafted Jordan Love, it became a quarterback controversy. The position's different, too. When Aaron was in college, he was under center. He called plays in the huddle. They changed plays at the line of scrimmage still. Jordan Love, he's one of these kids that's never been in a a huddle. He's never been under center. It's a different – it's – I don't know. He deserves better than this in my my life. I haven't liked it I can't. I cannot believe that I have come to a place in my football fandom life where I am actually defending Aaron Rodgers. It is truly – Bill Belichick's going to love him when he gets his hand on him every year. Oh, no. See, I was waiting for 2022 Niners starting quarterback Aaron Rodgers. When they get out of, they can get out of Garoppolo's deal. You already got that oh, money allocated. Boy. 1.6 in dead cap on that last year of Jimmy Garoppolo's deal and $24 million Ooh. cap hit that you, with, that you get out Shanahan of. Shanahan and Lynch saying. both locked up for another five Goes years. Goes back to California. Good. Where did he go to college? What's one of his famous teams? Where does he have a $50 million house? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'm okay with that one. As long as it, I just don't want him, I don't want him to go. I don't want I him to go to, yeah, to Minnesota. Okay. Don't do, don't do this Brett Favre BS. I don't need to see you in the division anymore, dude. Like you could get the hell out. Unless like, he's, unless he's out. in Chicago on the lake. Yeah. That's if she's in Chicago on the lake. I will become the biggest Aaron Rodgers fan that there has ever been. I will, my might even get an Aaron Rodgers tattoo. I don't have any tattoos. I might get Aaron <laughs> Rodgers tattoo. If that dude comes to Chicago, there's no Jamie, save this clip. record this yeah, and put it in the archives <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I was going to say cold takes. Uh, All right. Last thing here and an egregious thing. Okay. And I don't care. I love Lamar Jackson. Okay. Love Lamar Jackson, but the NFL 100 that's voted on by players comes out. Okay. And Lamar Jackson's number one, Russell Wilson's number two, Aaron Donald's number three. And yes, the reigning Super Bowl MVP champion and the the best quarterback that we could potentially ever see ever, Patrick Mahomes is the fourth rated guy on this list. And while these lists are stupid, okay, I I don't like getting worked up. This is the player list, right? So this one ma- like to me this one matters a little bit more and I'm more intrigued by it. And also, the fact that he's not it's not like he was two. He's four. Like, they put three other people ahead of him. He was four again. So you're telling me after winning the Super Bowl and that playoff run, it was all him. He's the same dude from the year before. Thank you. We threw 55 touchdowns. Thank you. This list is ridiculous. It's more It doesn't hold any more water because it's the players. It makes it worse because they're stupid. (laughs) This list is awful. It's a a junior high popularity contest for student council representative. Like, that's what it is. It's who's the coolest – Who's whatever? Todd Gurley's a fifty-one. Yeah, no, no. What? No. So, like this, some of these names on this list are absurd. Carson Wentz isn't on the list. Patrick Peterson's not on the list. Yeah, he got suspended, but all of a sudden he's not the same player that he's been from like nine straight Pro Bowls to start his career. It's ridiculous. This list is so stupid, and it gets so much freaking hype because there's still nothing on TV. Yeah. Because guys aren't in camp yet doing. It's just awful. It. I, I, like I tweeted the other day, Levante David is a hundred. Why? Because he's quiet and soft-spoken and a phenomenal leader and by has better numbers than Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner for their career that came out the same year? Just, just in case we're taking notes. Like, I, I, get, I think, listen, I get it. I understand that the, the brand value and the city you play in, but that doesn't factor into Patrick Mahomes because he plays in the place that he just won a Super Bowl. Like, all that brand BS doesn't Look, have cool any bearing on that. But Patrick Mahomes cannot be four again. And he can't not be one, period. End yeah. of story. I don't, yeah. I don't, 
nothing else. Look, I, I know they, these lists, they, they, sometimes they do this stuff on purpose, too, with the way these players I, – I don't think it's this always fully where they're adjusting board. it. This is just dumb yeah. because of the popularity contest. Yeah, I just I, – there's no reasonable I, – I poll every single player, GM, front office person in the, or been around the NFL and ask them who would they take if they have to take one player to start their franchise with. Ask them who it's going to be. It's and it's going to be Patrick Mahomes. It, it just, it's, it's ridiculous to, to have it anybody else. You know, if, if you went like Aaron Donald one and Mahomes two, all right, whatever. Like I, I could have maybe I, I, Aaron Donald didn't have a sack through the like through yeah. eight again last year, two two years in a row. But you know, I, mean, I like mean, it's twenty two years ago. But come on. But it's still, I mean, it's still, it's still Mahomes. Like it, it, it's Mahomes. It's I don't know. It, it's the only like the <sighs> only ridiculous. one I would have even tolerated. Like of the whole list, like Russell Wilson doesn't piss me off as much because he is so unbelievable and what he does on his team is so He's outrageous. He's ahead of Mahomes. But he's not – I, I just – those are – like, I love Aaron Donald. And you guys know how much Adam I love Adam Holmes was the third quarterback. Like, that's yeah, so that's... dumb. It's so – and he doesn't that belong behind four. a pass rusher. He's the rusher. third quarterback. I mean, it, come on, man. Like, it's it, – if this is a popularity contest, y'all are a bunch of haters. Okay? That's the facts. If that's how what this is, is y'all are a bunch of haters. the top players in the league. That's all it is. Y'all are Most a bunch of haters. Most of them don't study the league. Most of them don't care. Most of them don't look at all the guys. Here's another one. Darius Slay was like 91. Yeah. Yeah. How the hell is that possible? Yeah. I, I would love to, instead of this dumb list, okay, I would like to go to all the starting quarterbacks in the league. And I would like to ask them, in their opinion, who other than themselves, they can't vote for themselves, who is the best quarterback in the league and see how many of those guys say anybody else other than Patrick Mahomes. It should be unanimous. It's probably unanimous. Like Matt Ryan was left off the list. Yeah, I just I mean dude, he was I, hurt and still threw for like forty eight hundred yards last year. Yeah, I mean, and Carson Wentz wasn't on there. It's just it's. I hate this list. This list is stupid. And now Jake called it exactly what it is. And now I'm even more agitated because I thought about like a junior high student council BS. And you're thinking to yourself, you're like, man, you guys are all. Like, I respect the pettiness, but, like, pettiness when it makes sense. Because this is just, like, you're just a hater. Like, it's not petty. Like, Mahomes is just better than you guys. Like, I, I'm I don't... surprised Cam wasn't. I'm surprised Cam Newton wasn't on the list. Oh, I'm, yeah. That's how stupid the list is. He played two I would, games. I'd burn the list. But I'd find it and burn it. I, I, bet, I bet you if they went, like, one, 120, he'd make the list. I have, as, as, you, as we can tell on the podcast today, we are not short on opinions on this very stupid list. So we'll call it what it is, junior high BS. And we will end this part of the podcast by saying, um, listen, please check out everything Jamie's been doing. There's a couple of different articles about Damian Williams we talked up at the top of the podcast about and how that's going to impact the fantasy community. Stay on top of it. Draft Network's covering everything. Uh, there's a lot more going on now that we're getting guys reporting to camp and things are starting up and we're having discussions around everything. And we hope you enjoy this interview with Sam Farmer. All right, we're really excited to have a special guest on today. And that is Sam Farmer of the LA Times. We hear about him all the time from Jake. And it's <laughs> exciting to have you officially on the podcast. And I told you this before we jumped on, but we had this whole session of glowing about you and how underappreciated you are. So we're giving you the underappreciated award to, to kick things off here, Sam. That's so nice. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I love, uh, you know, Jake and I are, are very close. And so uh, 
I appreciate it. And it's fun to be on this podcast. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're yeah, excited to have you. Not only one of my you. favorite sports reporters all time, sorry, Paige, but one of my favorite people. Just, just, yes. just so you know. While we're, while, we're, while we're making you feel good before we get started. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're uh, happy to have you on. So we're going to kick things off here with something not related to the NFL. So for those of you who don't know Sam, he covers the NFL for the LA Times and does all things NFL. So there's, there's two major teams there. Tons of interest now, especially with uh, Hard Knocks is going to be covering both of those teams this year. So there's a ton to get into. But before we get into that, the city of LA potentially has a new king and his name is Joe Kelly. And so I wanted to ask you from you're an LA native, you, you're living there and, and everything that has happened and transpired over the last couple of years and obviously everything coming to light with the Astros. What is, how is LA feeling about Joe Kelly? Cause from the outside, we're all loving it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're going to change the name to Kelly stadium, but I think it's under consideration <laughs> uh, up at Chavez Ravine. I mean, that, it just embodied, even though Joe Kelly is a relative newcomer to the Dodgers, that sort of embodied the frustration that his, that people felt. And I think that'll, that'll go down in the annals of Dodgers history of one of the, as one of the great moments. And then he really became a martyr when he was suspended then uh, for that. So particularly when the, you know, the lack of suspensions associated with the Astros and, those two things juxtaposed. Um, I think that cemented him in history as one of the the great all-time Dodgers, no matter what he does from this point forward. The people feel this incredible sense of frustration. I hate some of the history of baseball, but one of the things I love about baseball and the old schoolness of baseball is stuff like that. Like there's certain yeah. things you do and you're going to get plunked. You're going to get pegged. You're going to get thrown at. Now, the, to flex like he did walking off was he just all-time awesome. But like that's just how do you get eight games for that? I, that's I, so I I think it's we, Paige and I were watching yesterday talking about it. It was just awesome. I was like we need to ask Sam to get his opinion from LA because that's just awesome. Yeah, and especially I'm gonna shut my door here because my dog's barking. Hold on, let's see. <laughs> I was gonna say Sam's got Sam's got the little dog in the background going. Sorry. Go ahead, yeah, right, go ahead, Sam. I got a couple of them. They go crazy. Um, I just. I just to sort of spin off what you were saying, Jake, I mean, sports have become so sort of antiseptic and like uh, corporate. And so when you see those real moments um, like that of, of real emotion and sort of the bitterness, uh, yeah. those are the things you remember because it's so, that was so cool with him. His bitterness wasn't part of being the Dodgers. It was bitterness yeah. of a baseball guy. That's the part I love that it wasn't, yeah. He wasn't Mr. Dodger. It didn't really affect him other than you don't do that to baseball and not pay for it. And his way of paying for it was throwing at him, which I, I just love. It's one of the coolest things of old school baseball. I was telling Paige on my wall of all my stuff in the garage, my favorite fight of all time is Robin Ventura gets hit by Nolan Ryan and charges the mound. And Nolan right. Ryan's like 49 years old at the time, steps aside and just pummels him, just beats the hell out of him. And the, the picture is signed by Nolan Ryan and says, don't mess with Texas. And I'm just like, right. And That's now as cool as baseball amplified. gets. Yeah. Yeah. And, and moments like that are amplified now by the memes and, and everything that goes around in social media. And, and the meme of, of uh, Joe Kelly sticking his lower lip out like that will live forever. I mean, that's like the sure. crying Jordan meme. I mean, we're going to see that <laughs> everything when somebody's pouting about something or, or whining, they're going to get that Joe Kelly meme. No, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that 
even though in Arizona there's not there's not a lot of love for the Dodgers here in Arizona, right? right? And and even the people out here are loving this because it's like like Jake said, it's it's not just about the Dodgers. The whole league, every fan of baseball, everybody's anti Astros, right? And and yeah. they're not going to get booed because they're not going to be fans. So this was Joe Kelly's way of kind of taking care of that for 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 everybody. So by um, the way, uh, I am a Dodgers fan. I like the Dodgers. Okay. And- don't cover baseball, but, uh, and I, I follow it casually, uh, but I'm not wearing a Dodgers cap, but I am wearing a U.S. Open cap. A little Pebble so Beach action from last year? This is from last year, but you can see it's got the Dodgers script and the Dodger colors nice. and sort of, sort of the Dodgers take on the, on the U.S. Open at Pebble last year. I love it. And I'm heading to, it. actually heading to the PGA Championship on Monday um, to go up to Harding Park in San Francisco to cover that. So that'll be interesting. Uh, with no spectators, no galleries, and uh, even the commentators. I, I was on a conference call yesterday with uh, Curtis Strange and, and some of the other ESPN guys, Andy North. And uh, Curtis Strange is going to be at home across the country. I think he's like in North Carolina or something, calling the, calling the, the tournament. So it's got to be crazy. Like you can do that at Pebble, Pinehurst, some like. Harding Park's been around. It's an old course, but I don't know yeah. how like how familiar these guys are with it, like whole yeah. by whole nuance of the whole to call it from across the country. That's got to be they've done a really good job, and the ratings have been spectacular with baseball, you know, waiting so long to get started. But that should be really interesting. Yeah, you definitely got to know that course to be have the confidence to, uh, or to speak in total generalities about what yeah. you're looking at on the screen. But for a five-hour um, broadcast of a major, exactly, <laughs> exactly. This is crazy. It's not. Sam, I was going to say, Sam, when we're looking at the, the weirdness that you're going to experience with PGA, there's obviously going to be some differences and, and strange just overall with this NFL season, right? This off season, this NFL season. So as you prepare to go to training camp or f- cover the team, you've been doing it for so long. How is this preparation going to be just so different? you know, different this off season because you haven't been able to probably be at the facility and do things that you're normally doing. No, no, it's hugely different. I mean, typically this time of year, I'm about to launch on a training camp trip and and I'll, because I cover the whole league, I will generally say, okay, this year I'm going to do some East coast teams and I'll try to do eight to 12 East coast teams, or now we're going to do the Midwest or, um, I'm going to stay in the West this year and go to Seattle and Oakland and Arizona and, uh, and San Francisco and, you know, whatever. Um, but this year I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I'll get to any camps. I mean, even the Rams um, or the Chargers, I don't know how much access you're going to have. And you might as well just be at home if there are Zoom calls for everything. So, it's going to be really interesting covering games this year and whether we'll actually attend the games or sit in the press box, because I don't think that we're going to see, I know we're not going to see the inside of a locker room until there's a vaccine that's widely disseminated. So I, it's a lot of it's going to come down to your ability to get a hold of people and um, get people on the phone to differentiate yourself from everybody who's getting the, all the Zoom stuff. It's like those cooking shows where they say, okay, we're gonna give you 
you know, a radish and a blah, blah, and a blah, blah, and you got to make some dish out of it. Everybody's going to be getting the same thing. And unless you're reliant on, unless you have those phone numbers and those relationships, you're not going to be able to get anything different. So the coverage could be really, um, really boring. That's why, you know, one of the million reasons I love Bruce Arians is I needed him this week on um, sort of his thoughts about players opting out, et cetera. And I texted him. I said, Bruce, I just need you for two minutes. Um, can I call you? He said, yeah. And that's why I always make sure that I keep a timer going. When I ask for two minutes, I don't go for three minutes. I ask for two minutes. And I'm like, Bruce, I got to stop yet. I ask for two minutes. Um, just because, you know, you could sit there on the phone for an hour, but he just doesn't have that time to spend. But uh, I've got off on a tangent, but uh, what, what I mean is it's going to be calling on relationships like no other time um, in my career uh, now to try to create a different, to, to give, give the readers something different. How but crazy is that going to be the, not being in a press box? Like you guys get so much from each other that have yeah. been doing this forever. Like you and your friends and your colleagues sitting there watching the same game, talking about the same stories but all having different contacts, right? I mean, you guys are going to lose that aspect of this, the stuff that people don't see behind the scenes. I've never been in a press box and see you guys yeah. doing this forever talking. <laughs> I mean, is that going to be like, you're on the phone with each other watching games live and like, how different is that going to be? Yeah, no, it's going to definitely be different. One of the things that, that really changed press boxes is Twitter. Um, it, before Twitter, as you know, I mean, we would always be yelling jokes out and, and funny lines and getting people, trying to get people to laugh. And now everybody saves it for Twitter. So I think what would surprise people who aren't familiar with the press box is it's not like a library now. You go in there and, and everybody's down. You, Twitter cut down um, to a large degree on the chatter between sports writers. Um, and this is just going to be really weird. It's going to be weird not having any contact with the players, not being able to pull a guy aside and ask him a question, not being able to pull a coach aside. Um, so it could be really, really dull or people could come out with some really interesting stories. There's also the thought that you never know when the, the bottom's going to drop out. The, it just seems like there are so many threads on this season you could pull on. It's like a sweater that could unravel so quickly. Um, and I asked your dad about this. I mean, I said, what if this thing goes through the quarterback's room? Um, how do you feel the team if, you, if you've got four quarterbacks who've come down with coronavirus? And uh, there are just so many sort of nightmare scenarios. But maybe they can limp along. Maybe they can, they can do it. There was an epidemiologist for Emory I, I talked to uh, day before yesterday. And he said, I said, how did the, the teams like the leagues like Bundesliga and, and uh, Germany and the Italian soccer leagues, Spanish soccer league, English, English Premier League, how did they finish their seasons? Is it that their protocols were so much better? And he said, well, I think it was more that the countries had a better control of the virus. Um, but he said, with the protocols, if you have some jackass who steps out of line, he said, it's yeah. like an NFL defense. 
You got nine guys on the same page doing everything the coach wants them to do, and two guys who are freelancing. A good quarterback will pick that apart. And COVID nineteen is a good quarterback. So, yeah, that'll be really interesting to see how long the league can go. I think it's it's fascinating the way that the NFL structured the schedule. And Jake, you and I have talked about this at length, but how they based it on the 2011 schedule with uh, anticipating a lockout with the labor uh, negotiations going on so they can pull out weeks two and three and either eliminate them or slide them around to week 17, past week 17 and still complete a season. So weeks two and three are like that. There's like week four has an elements um, that they could eliminate the whole week and still have some semblance of a season and playoffs. So my gut says that they're going to start on time. That's just my gut says they're going to start on time. And there's going to be some point they take a pause and say, we need to regain our footing here and get our arms around this again and try again. So that's just what I think. I'd be interested to hear what, what you think, Jake. I agree. I mean, I, I love that they build it that way, that they can really stop for two weeks if they need to, a league-wide bye week or two, and then wrap those in the end. There's nothing going on in February. with Basketball, not, who knows what's yeah. going to be going on. But there's nothing touches the NFL. So if they need to move it by two weeks, move the Super Bowl back, they've looked at you know dates in Tampa to be able to do that. So I, I think they get it in, but it's going to be really, really – interesting i mean the players opting out guys are testing positive all the protocols in place but it only takes one guy i mean my dad keeps saying like the most disciplined team has the best chance to win mm-hmm. but you're talking about a bunch of 21 22 year old guys yeah. the the one that decides to go out and do something stupid brings it in i, I love that they're testing this much i mean I, it's it's gonna be really interesting to see i mean I, the crazy thing is none of us know especially you've been doing this forever this is the weirdest thing ever because every day something new is going to happen. There's going to be a storyline. Like you said, you pull on one string, the wrong one, and the whole thing comes apart. Yeah. Here's, here's something I want to throw out to you guys and see your thoughts on it. Um, if college football is jacked up and, you know, you, have, you don't even have a season or you, you have some games and then, and then it comes apart, um, What's that do to the draft? How, how does that make, you know, you see Seattle give up two first rounders, Jamal Adams and, and our first round, first round picks going to be as valuable because you think about players like Joe Burrow, who um, come on so strong in their last year of college football that they play their way right up Kyler Murray or whatever. Um, you know, how does that affect if there's no season to judge them on? Um, you know, how do you, uh, are draft picks as valuable? I don't know. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I was going to say it's interesting because this is a topic of discussion for the draft network, right? We're looking at this constantly evaluating this and Jamie yesterday, one of our top 10 picks declared for the draft already. And so that's where mm-hmm. we're looking at that 2019 season film that we have evaluations on where we've got, scouting reports for 400 guys where that film's going to become that much more critical. Um, it's, you're going to be looking at, you talked about relationships and how important they are. Um, this is going to be where if you're an NFL scout, 
your relationships and collegiate programs is going to be more important than ever before. And you leaning on certain coaches to tell you the truth about the players and making those phone calls and being a part of that process and using your film. And then also the relationships that exist because something that's just has blown up in the last few years is combine training. And so I had, I've had conversations with Exos, the facility that's out here in Phoenix, and they've already had conversations with over a hundred athletes for basically taking what they do as an eight week program and turning it into a five month program. So they, they take, instead of you going to play college football, if you're Trevor Lawrence, you don't have much to gain this year, right? You don't, you don't, you don't really need to even go play college football. You take the season off. You don't even take the risk. You go train with a quarterback coach for five months and, and put enough on tape because we know these athletes, they create their own content and it becomes the new version of film evaluation where we're watching Trevor do quarterback drills for five months instead of watching him play at Clemson. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be non-traditional, Sam, right? It's not, it's not going to be what we're used to, but we're, as a company, that's one of the things we're preparing for is what are, where are all our relationships that we can lean on if we don't get 2020, 2021 film from college football, because we need it. So we've, uh, we've taken the, the 2019 film becomes that much more powerful. So if you're an athlete that was coming out, hopefully you had a really good season, right? Otherwise it's going to be really tough if, if you don't get film this year. Um, so those are some of the things we're looking at. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating question overall, because I think it depends on the player too. If you're, let's say Travis Etienne at Clemson, where everyone kind of thought you were coming yeah. out last year, probably not going to affect your draft stock a lot. But if you want to spend a top 10 pick, let's say on Trey Lance from North Dakota State, we all know this year with the schedule, even if they do play, he's not going to get that power five game that we all were kind of waiting to see how he plays against that sort of competition. So then what do you do? But to me, I think I look at the middle round picks as almost being gold right now, considering the salary cap's not going to be going up and you're going to be needing to fill out your rosters with basically cap manageable players. And I think we're going to see kind of the purging of that middle of the rosters over the next couple of seasons, particularly from the Dallas's, the Philadelphia's, maybe even the Atlanta's that are going to have to figure out how they handle this flat cap situation for the time being in the short term. So teams that are kind of loading up on day two picks, day three picks, those guys are going to probably have to make the roster at the back end just so those teams can get under the salary cap. Yeah. And this year is going to be interesting because, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the consensus number one pick, but could Justin Fields play his way into that? The last two years, to Sam's point, was kind of one-and-done guys. When you go with Kyler Murray, you go with Joe Burrow, that played their way into the number one pick that nobody thought that was going to happen until they just lit it up, and then the offseason kind of went – even going back to Baker. Nobody thought Baker was going to be the number one pick. Uh, This is kind of different. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be – it's why people should be listening to a guy like Sam through this whole, you're going to get the same blah, vanilla, everything. Go to the guys that have been doing this forever. They have real contacts, a true journalist that has those sources to get something different. Trust those old school scouts that have been talking to that, that coach or that secretary or that whoever that's in that Alabama, that Clemson, some of these schools that you can get that golden nugget on somebody and hold that tight. And yeah, you might take a guy nobody's ever heard of in the second round. And, he, and it pans out to be a phenomenal pick because you, you had those, those relationships and those nuggets. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Uh, do the three of you think that this could um, – that, that whole concept of a player extending his, his uh, uh, workout to five months, uh, could that start a new trend? I mean, we saw the 
where people do abandon their their final season. I mean, we saw, uh, you know, the draft and the way the league did that. And I think the league's going to incorporate a lot of that stuff into the, how do you think the, the efficiencies in, in that were uh, necessitated by this pandemic will stick? What will stick around? Yeah, um, it's, it's a great question, Sam. Um, and I think there's two aspects of this, right? So if you're a collegiate athlete and your program really takes the NIL rules and gives you an opportunity to really grow your brand and you have an opportunity to monetize a very good amount of money while you're in college, that's going to eliminate a little bit of that need to want to jump away and go do a five-month program. Because if you're mm-hmm. in Lincoln, Nebraska, or you're playing at Clemson, or you're playing in some of these guys that are especially middle round guys down, right? Not the Trevor Lawrence's, but the day two, day three guys, they might have a pretty decent amount of time in college to monetize their name and their likeness in a, in a small market where their name means a hell of a lot more, right? Where when they leave and they go to the NFL, they become the no name on the roster that nobody knows. They're not getting big marketing deals. Those things aren't available to them anymore. Um, But then there's, you know, obviously guys who are higher level, who are going to be top picks, who I think that's going to become an opportunity, especially as the training and the technology gets better. Because I don't know how often you get to see some of those facilities, but I went down, I was at the combine. That was my last trip. It seems like forever ago. I was in Indianapolis. Yeah, years ago. That was my last trip before COVID started. And I, and I went down and watched all the running backs prepare for the day um, at Exos. And they, they take over the, you know, the ground level of the hotel that's right across from the combine. And it's unbelievable what they have the setup down there. And I'm watching some of this stuff and I'm going, man, if they started doing this longer, right, and you're building up to the combine, it, it, it's, it's always going to be really important. But then to bring up Bruce again, I go talk to Bruce, right? And he's like, I don't care about all this. I want to watch, I want to watch him playing pads. I want to watch the film because that's nice what they run in shorts. But at the end of the day, that's not playing football. And I think that there is enough of that mentality in football where it's like, yes, that's great. But how many guys do we need to go watch a really unbelievable 40 and come into the NFL? And it's like, that's nice. But now line up against Patrick Peterson and go do that. Right. And and it doesn't, it's not the same thing. So I think there's, it might happen a little bit, but I think in between the NIL rules and then just that old school football mentality where we want to see the film. We want to see you line up and, and go hit somebody. It's, it's hard to recreate that in, at an Exos facility. Yeah. I think you got a couple aspects of it. You got the basketball mentality of one and done. They don't want to go to class. They don't care. They're yeah. not getting an education. You got some guys that, that graduate in three years and then don't really care about going their fourth year, but they came back to school. The combine stuff, I, I went through that training. I mean, you, you're going to peak and you don't need more than eight weeks to peak to run a 40. If you did it for five months, to my dad's point, I, I try to look through a different lens, but every time I talk to him, I laugh. And I'm like, man, that guy looked great at the combine. He's a freaking combine warrior. He can't play football. It just, right. those were numbers. <laughs> if you did that for five months, I think you're bringing in soft tissue stuff because they're not running football stuff. They're yeah. not, quarterbacks are different. Quarterbacks are working on their craft, but they're working on looking great in shorts, having a vert, running a great 40 that doesn't translate to the field. And as soon as they start cutting and going to minicamp, how many of them pull a hamstring? 
Mm-hmm. I, I, you're going to see it because of COVID. I, I don't, it's definitely not the last big name guy you're going to see in college that skips this season. But I think that's more of that basketball mentality. They didn't really want to go to class and get education anyway. They're just trying to prepare themselves for the NFL and stay as healthy as possible because they've put enough on film. I, I, there's, I, still, I still think this whole thing could be, end to be the end of the NCAA as we know it. The SEC, the Big Ten, some of these want to break off anyway. Everybody hates the NCAA and the rules. And then you get the players that are starting to do all this stuff. And they, they finally gave in to those rules. I, I it could be, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with college football and how it translates. Does it get more of a basketball G league one and done? You can skip it and go play professionally. Football is different because your body's not ready at 18. Like yeah, you can do in baseball and basketball and, and to go to be you know, minor leagues, play baseball at 18. But I still think there's going to be a transition with it. I'll be fascinated to see if even after COVID, if an elite quarterback breaks the trend at some point, because when we've talked about these types of players, it's usually a pass rusher. It's a Jadavion Clowney. It's a Bosa or, or it's another injury situation where it's like, okay, they, they experience an injury, injury very early in the season. And then like, okay, I'm, I'm not risking this anymore. I would be fascinated. And let's say if there, if COVID didn't exist, if Trevor Lawrence were to take that route this year, I'm, you know what, I'm not going to play this year. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to hurt my arm. I'm just going to go train for the draft ahead of time and see if that would change any mentalities, if that would work, because we haven't seen a true premier option at a position like that, do it outside of maybe pass rusher. It'll be, that's a great thing. I would say Trevor Lawrence is an easy one because he's basically Peyton Manning that's more athletic. You know the the offense he's playing, and you've seen him read defenses. How many quarterbacks do they bust on with all the film? Jordan Love's a perfect example. Nobody really knows what they're getting. I mean, the film study stuff that I heard when guys put him on the chalkboard wasn't the greatest thing ever. He didn't really know why he was doing some stuff. He was just athletically gifted. Take a guy like Justin Fields, where that offense hasn't translated to the NFL playing quarterback yet. We'll see what Dwayne Haskins does. But – he runs around, he's throwing to elitely gifted athletes on that. That one would be shocking to me if a guy like that did it. I don't think you have enough film. Uh, to me, that brings in a lot more risk of taking a guy like that if he did go sit for the year. It's interesting because, you're, uh, you know, people made sort of passing, very passing comparisons of Jordan Love to a some Patrick Mahomes-like things that, that he could do. And I remember your dad saying that, Patrick Mahomes was uh, among his top four smartest guys on the board uh, that he's ever. In fact, it was a great quote. Uh, your, your dad told me on that. Do you know what he said? He said, I, I said, well, who are the top four? And he said, well, I, I'd say Andrew Luck, uh, Peyton, Manning. Patrick Mahomes. And I said, well, who is the fourth? He goes, I want to tell you the fourth. He goes, because I want every other guy I coached to think, to think was it was them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly just to sort of riff on something you talked about about soft tissue injuries and um i remember after the the new cba was put in effect and, and guys were had much less hitting and, and much less practice time um and we started to see especially in uh we saw a lot of non-contact acls in august i think in fact i think in august there are more I remember the statistic was like uh, there are more season-ending ACLs in August than in every other month combined. Yep. Um, but a lot of Achilles we saw. Um, what do you think with, with COVID and no preseason games and very limited practice? They don't start practicing to what? Hitting until the 17th. What are we going to see 
or are we going to see an uptick in soft tissue injuries? Go ahead, Jamie. We, we talk about this all the time. So I know Jamie's given the same answer. I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, it's inevitable. Uh, and it's like you said, Jay, it's a point that Jake brings up all the time that kind of doesn't get thought about. But it, we talked about a lot with the new CBA and not hitting each other. And now with this extremely abridged offseason, it, it's got to be concerning. And I don't know how... I don't know how you combat that. I don't know if there's anything you can do to combat that, but it's definitely something that we talk about on the show constantly of you have to be aware of this. It's not, it's not going to be everybody comes into camp and everything's all hunky dory. Even if there's not a, you know, a Miami Marlins like issue that happens in the NFL, there are still other, I mean, this could be one of the most injured years, one of the most sloppy years of football. And it just, it's inevitable. I mean, there's, if you're going to try to play a season, there's really, there's really not much you can do at this point. Um, you, it's going to be a weird year that way, but it's something that we definitely talked about on the show, where we, especially when we go into the fantasy component of something you have to be aware of and you have to know that you're taking a, a high amount of risk even beyond just the virus at this point because, I mean, I mean, look, it's what, Janu- or January, it's July 30th and nobody's in camp yet. Nobody's hitting yeah. each other. Nobody's around. It, it, it's just – it's such a weird year, and I do have a concern that there's just going to be a rash. Especially with no preseason games, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be in practice or if all of these injuries are just going to be accelerated into weeks one, week two, week three, where you're just seeing a high volume of players going down, and you're starting to wonder, you know, was it even worth it to begin with? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you how you fix it. They're making a ton of money, and this is in college. Get your ass in the facility with coaches and work out and do football stuff. Yeah. You, they just went six months working with their own trainers and everybody trying to recreate the wheel with MMA drills and all this. It's not football stuff. The problem is they come in. So that's why these rookies get hurt in minicamp all the time. They do all this combine stuff to run a 40 in a straight line. And then they start moving and cutting and football stuff. And there goes a hamstring. There goes a quad. There goes an MCL sprain. There goes an Achilles. That's how you fix it. With the new CBA, they couldn't get the money they wanted. So they wanted less practice time. Well, that doesn't mean you got a hit, but go out and do it can't be just a walkthrough either, but I go, it doesn't have to be like my first job. I talk about on the show all the time, Sam, you know, this going to a Marty Schottenheimer training camp in river falls, Wisconsin, which was like six weeks of two a days in pads. You don't necessarily <laughs> need that, but you need more than 14. They're going to get 14 padded practices before they play week one, week one and week two are going to suck. The yeah. Football is going to be God awful. And I think the injuries going into week three are going to be insane. The injury, it's going to set should settle down after that, but that's training camp. The players didn't want to come in early and get tested and then do all the stuff they wanted that first week of walkthroughs and all that. I think it's doing, they're doing nothing but hurting themselves with the way they've set this up. If you're a fifth round picker later in the NFL, how do you make a team? Um, I understand that there's 16 practice squad, but they're going to have to cut 11 guys uh, to get from uh, 80 down to 69, which I think will be the number. Um, How do you make a team if you're not a punter or a kicker and, guys in front of you get hurt and you get lucky yeah because yeah. you're not going to be able to show enough I mean or you got the bucks are really unique with what my dad sets up and they have enough coaches to take two fields and have two practices so you got the young guys with like Tom Moore right Tom Moore's yeah. on the young guy field he's not watching the old guy ironically dad, dad's talking Love to him that. hey who needs to come who needs to come from field one to field two we had Tyron Matthew on last week Sam I remember the day it took Tyron like two and a half practices before he was over on field one yeah. yeah, He learned a little bit about the defense, and they were like, no, 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 he needs to be over here. That's one way to do it, but not a lot of teams do that. Not a lot of teams have the coaching staff to be able to do that, or the head coach has the trust in the guys on field one to send them over. And then you, you, bring, those, you bring those back. They're going to get a lot more reps than a lot of teams the way that they set that up. But other than that, the guys in front of you, you get hurt, and you flash. 
I, yeah. It's the only way to do it. That's where your coaching staff, right, that we talk about. I feel like we're the only podcast. We, like, do full breakdowns on coaching staff moves and how that's going to impact things and all the different stuff, right, and, and across the board. And Bruce is kind of the exception, right, with how that, how that team is built and how that coaching staff is built and, and being able to do that. That's not exactly the case across the board, right? And that's, that's where this is going to be. You know, we have a ton of guys that we evaluated coming into this draft class that we're going the worst part of this whole thing, right, with COVID is that the rookies are not getting the proper amount of time. And that's where especially a guy like, you know, Joe Burrow, who's expected to be week one ready to go as a rookie, as pro ready right we like to throw that term around he's he's nfl ready he's pro ready nothing is at no one is nfl ready without nfl reps and i think that's where the people that are going to suffer the most yes the guys like the fifth through seventh rounders who aren't who aren't potentially going to make the team but then there's the pressure of a guy like the number one overall pick and if it's really bad you know that confidence is a big part of this and how much is that going to play into joe burrow's transition into the nfl if he's already on a team that everybody's picking to be in last place in that division doesn't get the reps doesn't get the time as a rookie and then comes in and just gets his ass kicked for the first five weeks of the season i mean that's that could be horrible for him long term as a well, here's, rookie. here's why that's going to happen Paige, because joey bosa and nick bosa aren't playing at a slower level yeah. Right. The quarterbacks are going to come in and preseason's faster than college. And then the regular season steps up and then the playoffs step up and then the Super Bowl is a whole other level of speed. Right. Well, mentally you're playing at LSU. Yeah. You're now playing preseason games in your head, but Joey Bosa and these guys coming off the edge and these corners that are covering your receivers, they're not, and those guys aren't playing in, in preseason games very much. They're now playing defense in week one, your first action preseason game. Your mind is not going to be fast enough. You haven't had the live bullets, the live reps, to be able to do the blitz scheme, playing Todd Bowles in week one if you're a rookie quarterback. Can you imagine that? And what you're going to see, you've never say, seen anything like that in college. That's the stuff that it's going to take to week eight before his mind catches up, that the speed goes from preseason to regular season, and he's ready to do that. That's where three and a half preseason games would have been phenomenal for some of these guys. And I think the unsung storyline of this season it's going to be, and if we start seeing surprise teams rising up the standings, it's going to be offensive line continuity. Because I think that's another factor of teams that are just bringing in either they've, they've lost offensive linemen due to injury or due to opting out of the season or they brought in, you know, a rookie tackle. I think seeing the, the lines that's kind of stay together, which is a big reason why the Rams had so much success a couple of years back. But having that continuity, and it's continuity with your coach too. I mean, I can't imagine trying to run a new team right now as, as a first-year head coach where you have just – I mean, you have, you're basically – you're installing your offense during the season at this point. Like there's, there's no way around that. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that – plays into this and seeing how like teams maybe like the like the Raiders for example that kind of are going to keep pretty steady on the offensive line do versus you know even Cincinnati you're bringing in a new tackle with Jonah Williams coming back because of his injury last year how is it so it's a bad offensive line anyway that's not going to have continuity and you have a rookie quarterback that's going to be throwing in there after 14 padded practices that's that's got to be scary you you look what's going on in New York you have one tackle who's opting out for the season and the other one you spent the top five pick on with another young quarterback who has turnover issues that should scare you. I mean, so all of these undercurrents are going to be really interesting. And we could see one of those cliched, almost like veteran teams with a veteran coach and offensive line continuity and a solid quarterback look up and go, maybe they're the team that rises up the standings because they can kind of withstand some of these other unknowns that are going to come from this very, very strange season. That's a great point, Jamie. I, I talked to uh, 
uh, Joe Theismann and Doug Williams just about how those two Redskin teams, um, 1982 and 1987, wound up winning the Super Bowl um, in those strikes shortened seasons and, and sort of all the turmoil. And both of them, the, the, the thread that ran through both of them was continuity and teams sticking together and practicing together. Uh, guys didn't uh, break the picket line in 87 on the Redskins. And um, where you had a lot of upheaval on other teams that and and the '82 Redskins, that was not a good team. Um, '81, '80 Redskins were not a powerhouse team, but uh, so they sort of came out of nowhere to win the Super Bowl that year. And um, I think that that so there are going to be some factors that uh, we may not necessarily be fully anticipating right now that make average teams very good and, and good teams bad. I mean, look at the Patriots and just now with these six opt-outs and how that devastates the defense, but also losing the right tackle. And, and you know, clearly that the quarterback situation, um, I just don't know how you do that, how you change course so dramatically and then lose all these fixtures and expect to still win the, the East. This late in the offseason kind of, especially. Yeah. yeah, and so that kind of leads me to my next question. We've talked about this on the show before. We mentioned how we talk about coaching staffs. Let's let's stay there in Los Angeles with the Rams. For there's an early part of his tenure as the head coach, he had some. Uh, Sean McVay had veteran coaches to lean on. You know, Wade Phillips on defense, Fossil on special teams. Those guys are now gone. You have new coordinators across the board. Essentially, how do you think that's going to affect the Rams just in general for a regular season, and particularly what's going to happen with this short off season? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that will have a huge impact. I think people don't think about coaching staffs enough, and because uh, it's 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 hard, it's nebulous. It's hard to sort of put your finger on. You go into an NFL facility, as you know, and they don't look at uh, head coach versus head coach as much as they look at this coordinator versus this coordinator, and this coordinator versus this coordinator. And what are they going to do? I mean, Jake bringing up. Todd Bowles there and, and uh, just sort of how uh, you look at Bruce Arians and the, and the defensive coordinators that he has sort of brought along and uh, fostered those relationships. And I think it could be a, a huge deal for the Rams and they've lost personnel and they, they sort of were on the buy now pay later plan um, for the first few years in LA and now they're having to pay. Um, and, you know, the Todd Gurley thing going sideways uh, really hurts them when they paid him so much money. And, you know, that, that's a good point on Wade. I mean, Wade and Wade has that effect where he comes in and his teams are really strong for a couple of years. And then they start to fade a little bit or the luster wears off and he moves on. And I think that's where, where we're at with the Rams right now. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts specifically on the Rams, because, uh, um, you know, it, it just feels we like. We talk about, I don't think anybody gives Fossil the credit he deserves. Yeah. Or Zerline. I, I just, we, we had a show yesterday, we're, we're doing, the other day we're doing kickers and defense. And I'm like, I don't, it's one of, to me, one of the biggest storylines of the offseason, one of Dallas's biggest additions mm -hmm. is getting Zerline to play indoors. But right. having Johnny Hecker and having Fossil run that, 
I mean, when McVay takes the job, it's like Mike, Mike Tomlin taking a job in Pittsburgh. You got Dick LeBeau and Bruce Arians. You're just steering a ship. There's not yeah. a whole lot to do. Now, McVay was calling plays, and I, I love what he did offensively. It was dynamic. Eight guys got jobs because they shook his hand, right? It was phenomenal. But he didn't have to mess with two other rooms at all. Right. And now he's more the CEO, head coach, offensive coordinator, play caller. These are now his guys. To me, it's, it's, a, it's a big question mark. I mean, Wade Phillips has been there and done that a long, long time. And when you don't have to walk down the room, walk down the hall to his room to see what the game plan is, you just know it's going to be good and there's nothing you can really add. If he's got to walk down there, that's, that's less time he's spent on the offense to me. And then special teams, everybody forgets the forgotten third phase of the game. Fossil's one of the best and been there a long time. And that continuity with Hecker and Zerline on a team that's going to have to score points to win it's going to be interesting. I, I, it's, uh, I love McVay. I think he's awesome. I'm, I'm all for him and Kyle Shanahan. I'm all, I'm all in on both of them. But it's now his guys, and you don't have that same lineage to go grab, pick, and choose to, to make this team of your guys. It'll be interesting to see what, see what happens. And we've been, very, we've been very critical, but because it was deserving. I think last year when they made that trade for Jalen Ramsey, we're going – what is going on here? You're in third place in the division and you're making a trade like you are the San Francisco 49ers competing for a Super Bowl. And I think that's where we've been the most critical is not understanding where you are organizationally and making trades as if you're in a completely different position than you're in. And, and that was where we looked at them last year and said, that doesn't, that is, that could cripple your organization where you're giving away multiple draft picks and then you have to sign a player to a big deal because that's what he's expecting. And you're already paying Jared Goff potentially, in our opinion, too much money. And then you've got Todd Gurley and you've got, and they, you know, they did a, a good job this off season, getting rid of Brandon Cooks and, and moving on from Todd Gurley, but they still paid those guys a lot of money. I mean, it's not like they're they still paying them for still a, while, paying a lot them. of money. That's exactly right. So it's not like, yes, they, yes, they were able to make a, make a bad situation. Okay. But to me, they're still the third best team in the division and the Cardinals are getting better. So for, I look at that team and, and I'm interested in your expectations for them because I, I don't think that they're going to be much better than they were last year when I look at them, because I don't think they're better than Seattle and I don't think they're better than San Francisco. And I expect Arizona to be better this year. And, and that's a tough division for them to play in. Absolutely. And you make some great points, Paige. I mean, I think you also have to look at the Rams through the prism of playing in LA and not only playing in LA, but playing in LA with another team trying to hog the spotlight in LA. Um, if this, this isn't a team playing in Nashville, so you have to get to re-engage LA fans. I think there's this fascination with bringing in name players and bringing in the Indomitian Sues and the, the keep to leaves and, and the Marcus Peters that, um, really you're trying to sort of capture the imagination of fans too, um, rather than making maybe the most practical decisions or uh, playing it a little closer to the vest. I think you say, we want to bring fans in. And the, the Rams, if you look at all the moves they make and juxtapose those with the, all the moves the Chargers haven't made, you know, they paid Joey Bosa, but but they hadn't extended anybody and they had, you know, they weren't going to Melvin Gordon. They weren't going to, they weren't going to keep Philip Rivers. Um, they did 
obviously have that sixth pick and they, they took Justin Herbert, but um, even that, I think they would have loved to have Tua or have a sort of a sexier pick there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Rams have wanted to brand themselves as the risk takers and take, you know, they took a huge risk on this $5 billion stadium and they're paying for it now because who knows what the future holds. But every time, um, at every juncture, at every crossroads, they've taken the riskier move. And this is a case with Jalen Ramsey where it doesn't really add up and calculate like, wait a second, shouldn't you be planning for the future? Why are you planning for now? But, but they, that comes into the calculus is how do we get fans excited about this team? And we've got this big stadium. Yeah, is that going to bite them, though? Because now we're looking at – now you can't foresee COVID, right? But now you're looking at a situation where there, there aren't going to be fans or not as many fans in the stands. So that aspect of it isn't as big of a deal. And so now you're competing based off your TV product, and your TV product is wins and losses, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's going to be what could potentially win over the L.A. market. And we talk about this all the time, so you teed it up for me very, very well in, in how do the Chargers – win over LA because this is seems like the prime opportunity where there's two teams that are going to be playing and the fan component is kind of taken out of it. And so all they have is what they're putting on the field. And if they come in and they, you know, let's say end up second in the division behind the chiefs, but make a postseason spot, is that enough for them to start to take a chunk of that LA market out? Because we know that they haven't had a great home field advantage so far. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they hope to win some of the LA market. They came in with guns blazing and the whole fight for LA thing. But I think reality settled in very quickly that, look, we don't have a big fan base here. We don't have really any fan base in LA. And there was no clamoring for the Chargers to move up from San Diego. In fact, I think a lot of LA fans kind of felt bad that they, uh, you know, supposedly pried them loose. I called the, the Chargers move the the oduls of relocation where there's absolutely no buzz <laughs> you know it's like yeah, them moving up to la and and um you know but they're playing for a dollar a year rent in this five billion dollar uh, you know mega most expensive stadium ever and so they you know, a lot of it is bottom line. Has the value of the franchise increased uh, in moving from San Diego to LA? Yes, but it did it increase enough to offset the $650 million relocation fee? I think time will tell on that. Um, you know, they're sort of going with that old Raiders philosophy of uh, if you win it, winning takes care of everything and you don't have to be you have the greatest PR or anything if you if you win. The thing is, the Chargers don't have a history of of winning. They've never won a Super Bowl. They've played in one. They, uh, you know, have not been able to find that formula to to consistently win. They were they were a very good team. I mean, uh, that was one of the, you know Jake really liked that team, uh, especially a couple of years ago when it was like they were rolling. But, um, yeah. It's, We're it's, all super pro chargers on the show. That's mm-hmm. why I was wanting to get to, like, Tommy Telesco's job 
compared to like, and I know I've known Les and Tommy both for a while. And I, I think Les did a great job this offseason getting rid of some of those guys. But I didn't think, I thought they were stuck with them, which yeah. I thought really would hurt that team. Where Tommy's been under the radar, his background, Indianapolis, Bill Polian, super yeah. low key in the back room. That team is loaded on paper. Yes. Loaded on paper. Minus how good Tyrod Taylor is. So one of our, our questions was going to be, I think I do think winning cures all. I mean, LA is who's the hottest movie star, who's the new whatever. Yeah. If Tyrod's not sexy and doesn't turn it over, that defense is good. They're going to be in a lot of games. And maybe they can't get over the hump with Kansas City unless Tyrod gets hot or Herbert comes in and plays hot. But that team's loaded on paper. They were loaded on paper last year. We were all super hound. They have the craziest injury history ever that, that definitely plays in. Maybe it's because they were practicing on, like, Microsoft's lunch field for the last couple of years in L.A. because they don't really have a complex. But how good are they? I mean, this we're, I'm still super high on them. I just – I like Anthony Lynn. I think Gus Bradley's going to do a hell of a job with that defense. Is it all quarterback? And is that sexy enough to win L.A.? Yeah, no, I, I feel like that's um, – and, yeah, is it sexy enough to win L.A.? I think it really remains to be seen. And, and uh, you know, can you get L.A. fans behind you on anything? Um, the, you know, the Rams are – I'm sorry. I'm, the Rams have a hard enough time with that. And um, – but I feel like we ask that question every year with the Chargers. They've got a great roster. And, and – with Philip Rivers, I, I thought Philip Rivers, as much as he struggled last year, I've seen him come out of those. We've all seen him sort of dig his way out of those, those statistical holes and win a lot of games. And so um, I'll be interested to see Tyrod. I mean, that guy throws a really accurate deep ball and um, seems like he can, he can win some games for you or at least not lose some games for you. Um, They've got defensive stars. They seem to have all the components that you need. Um, but it's almost become a thing now in L.A. Like you're getting pigeonholed as that, that team um, that, that doesn't have any fans. Uh, when you went to StubHub, and I don't, I don't know if you guys have been to StubHub for a game. I, I went to a Raiders game. Raiders Chargers at StubHub was the most embarrassing yeah. thing I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's weird. It was weird, but it was also, you know, there are no bad seats there. It's yeah. like seeing Springsteen in a bar, you know, I mean, you're, you, you're up close, but it's weird. And, and it was totally overrun. I mean, you'd have the Raiders of, you had the Steelers or the Packers there. It was ridiculous. It was like, it was like the Cardinals playing at uh, Sun Devil stadium where everybody plans their, their one time a year that, you get to see our team, uh, and it's going to be in L.A. Um, but, you know, this was – the Chargers are probably the one team that in some sense have benefited from from this coronavirus. Th- yeah. You know, I mean, I don't want to be um, – let me rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's benefited from this. Uh, but I will say that the notion that there are no fans in the stands – does not create, this was coming down like a slow train wreck. We were going to see 20,000 people in SoFi Stadium and what that would look like, and it was going to be on display. Now, if nobody gets any fans, then, then the Chargers have been, had the best training possible the last couple of years. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm, 
rambling but yeah it's kind of making that's that's kind of what i was getting at though is like is this the opportunity right where there's no positives of covid but how do you take a bad situation and come away with a positive and if you're the chargers you have this opportunity in the market where the storyline isn't going to be around how you don't have any fans okay so that story eliminated now so the new storyline is potentially the LA Rams finish in last place in their division. Okay, yeah. let's put that out. Mm-hmm. And the Chargers competing with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs for the top of what could be the best division in football. And if that plays out, and let's let's throw out Justin Herbert, who looks pretty LA to me. Okay, he looks pretty California to me. Yeah, comes in and takes over that team, and is all sunshine flowing with the hair. All of a sudden, I'm looking at this and I'm going, this seems like a pretty good opportunity, as good of an opportunity as you're going to get to kind of take over the market or at least bite into that share. And that's, that's where I was looking at is like, is that, is that possible? And what has to happen? Does it have to be what I played out? Does it have to be, you know, the Rams finishing last, the Chargers are competing for the postseason and they're competing with the Chiefs and Herbert takes over halfway through because he does have a big arm and he does make splash plays and he does have a, a look and a vibe and he's a rookie. So he's a top 10 pick and that, that, that could be enough for LA to, to buy into the chargers. No, I mean, uh, Paige, I think that's, that's a great point. And that's certainly been the chargers game plan all along um, that we win, we go up there, people are going to fall in love with us and we're going to be an, an easy team to fall in love with. And we've priced the tickets in such a way that uh, I mean, PSL at the lowest level is 10 times less expensive than the, than the lowest level Rams PSL. So we're going to be the family option, et cetera. If you look historically, and we're able to chart these things at the LA Times, because we can look at who, um, how many people are looking at each individual story, for instance. Um, this isn't LA's team. LA hasn't embraced this team. LA is a Lakers town, a Dodgers town, and a Rams town. And so when the Angels win the World Series, yes, we see a one-year spike in interest or um, a temporary spike in interest, but then they drop down to where they were. When the Ducks win the Stanley Cup, same thing. Uh, there's a spike in interest, and then it drops down and people don't in LA don't think of it. Ducks as an LA team. Um, I think people still the Chargers are going to be fighting an uphill battle unless you can do something miraculous like the Patriots did, where they were on the verge of relocating, and um, and then they go off and win six Super Bowls. So you know, yes, prolonged winning might break through that, but even a one-year spike where you're going to have a year when the Clippers are better than the Lakers doesn't mean the Clippers are going to take over as LA's team. Yeah. It's always fun to, to, for the Arizonans, right? We watch how LA battles over everything and I'm a Chicago girl. So I also, I also like watching uh, when the bears come to LA and it doesn't matter who they're playing. It's a, it's a bears home game. Like I've been to LA for that and, and, and same with Arizona. So it's uh, it was. But it was Chicago's great. a great example of uh, too a, a city that's torn in baseball. Yep. And you've got two teams, and and you know now I mean the White Sox have a have a following, uh, but kinda, 
kind of, yeah, as you can, kinda. you can tell by my, my background, which, which yeah, one I do. Exactly. So it's, it's a kind of. And that's how long did that, you know, did it take to establish a kind of a, a kind of a following? Um, and with the chargers, it's, it's just an uphill battle, but I mean, Jake makes great points. Tom Telesco has done a terrific job. They've assembled a, um, an exciting team and, and now they're going to be playing in a premier stadium. So we'll, we'll put that theory to the test. As much as we all love Philip Rivers, he wasn't sexy enough to ever win yeah. LA. That's right. The... No, and, I, I don't, I don't think he, he deserves it, but the shucks, darn it. Gosh, yeah. darn great. Married with a bunch of he, kids. He was, they they not, need Jamie Foxx any given it. Sunday. Sexy to me with wins to be able to turn that into and maybe they need Al Pacino to come be the head coach. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. but it's it's definitely an uphill battle. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping he didn't move to LA. Yeah. I was gonna say he didn't even move to LA. He was commuting no. from San Diego. I'm I am hoping as the uh as the un like this this whole podcast, we love the Chargers, right? It seems like we're all in on them every year and they always disappoint us, right? So it's this is this is the prime opportunity and I'm hoping Herbert has enough of the uh the sex appeal slash the interest factor at a certain point to to get LA to jump on. Cause I think you it could be a one year thing, right? But if he turns out to be a superstar quarterback that's that that all of a sudden becomes super interesting and it's yeah. it's yeah that's what i'm hoping for yeah and the in the uniforms and i mean to cut you off jamie because yeah. i'm uh, uh i see you down there on the bottom of my screen and yeah I, I probably have stepped on you a couple of times nah, you're all good. i'll just say <laughs> the uniforms um of the chargers people like those and they don't like the rams uniforms so they sort of uh, roll out of those two things in uh, short order. Uh, also, show you know, Chargers have an upper hand in that department, and I, I'm surprised. I was I was very surprised how much people care about uniforms. Didn't really learn that until team moved back to LA, and everything became every question, everything you'd write about the uniform would be the jersey or the colors. Um, you know, millions of people were interested in that. Um, you know, it's, it's much it matters. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a nostalgic thing. You Brand follow. awareness matters now. It's so. I mean, even if they're not coming to your games, just having that logo out there. I mean, it's it's nowhere near the same thing. But obviously, it's a big reason why the Raiders had such success at one point. Uh, you know, in L.A. And then I know that's more for the all black setting versus what what the new Chargers uniforms look like, but. I mean, look, how many times, you know, at our old job page, how many times did uh, our coworkers come in wearing uniforms and wearing hats of teams they don't care about at all, but it looked cool. It meant yeah. something. And yeah. it's just, it's that, that kind of branding, that kind of awareness. And right now, for the Chargers, any amount of awareness uh, is welcome. But uh, that's all I have. But I did think we should plug, since we mentioned at the very beginning, we yes. got to get Sam Farmer more followers. So yes. at LA Times Farmer on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, please, please give him a follow if you have. I assume if you're listening to the show, you're an NFL fan, and there's really there's no better follow right now than Sam Farmer. Oh, thank you so much. That's yeah. great. That's uh... thanks for coming on, brother. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.